reading through our Bible this year, and we're, uh, go, we're right now going through the book of Ecclesiastes or Song of Solomon, and uh, we're finishing up the uh, experiential books. But I want to begin by, um, and, and essentially what we're, we're challenging everyone to do is we're challenging you to take this book, open it up, and to read it and reflect on it daily. And reflecting, what I mean by that is saying, you read a passage, and maybe before you read that passage, you say, God, would you speak to me through your word today? And then you read a short passage. It doesn't have to be the whole reading of whatever it is. See, we're not so much concerned that you read through the Bible, but that the Bible reads into your heart. And so we're asking you to take a portion of the Scripture and say, God, speak to me through this portion, reading through it, and then praying it back to him, reflecting upon it, thinking on it, uh, and we believe that that is going to transform your life, and it will be a very beneficial exercise. But as we begin, I want to ask you, I think back to the day when I was a boy and I used to watch the cartoons, and one of the cartoons I used to watch was Roadrunner. And some of you remember that, and if you're young, too young to remember who Roadrunner Runner is, ask a parent or a grandparent, and they'll tell you who it is. And but Roadrunner was basically this, this road. I mean, it just, this, he could blast down the highway and just go, like, very fast. And the coyote, wily coyote, was always trying to catch the Roadrunner. He was, he was going, always going to the acne uh, bomb-making factory or something, trying to blow him up or get him or catch him or trap him or whatever it was. And he always had this contraption. And, and, and inevitably, in the midst of all of this, he would generally run off a cliff because the roadrunner could run off of a cliff and just keep running for some odd reason. But the roadrunner would run off and Wiley Coyote would, f- would follow him. And then he would stop. And, and the cliffs were always incredibly high. And he'd be standing there. And he wouldn't fall until he looked down. And when he looked down, you knew he was going to fall. And he'd sometimes hold a sign up and say, help, you know, and he would fall. And, and there was always this dramatic where you look down and the camera go, you know, and it kept going and, you know, and that was the roadrunner. I mean, yes, they were, cartoons were simple back then, okay? <laughs> but the point that was interesting was he never really fell till he looked down. And, uh, Socrates said something that was very interesting. He said, the unexamined life, the unexamined life is not worth living. And I want to propose to you today, this morning, that it may be there's some in this group, maybe many in this group, that you're just living your life, but you're not really thinking about it. You're not analyzing it. You're not asking hard questions about, is my life important? Is my life going anywhere? Is my life significant? Is, is there any value to what I'm doing? Is, am, I, am I getting anywhere? You're, you're not asking those questions. And, and I think that when you begin to ask those probing questions, you begin to look down. And I'm going to make the case that some of you haven't never looked down or don't often look down or don't want to look down. And, and you know what? There will be times in your life where you'll go into the doctor's office and say, you know, you've got cancer and, and we don't have a lot of hope. And you're forced at that moment to look down. You go through a tragedy. You lose somebody that's close to you. You go through a difficult transition. And in those times in life, you're forced to look down. You're forced to ask those hard questions. And you know what you're going to find? Some of you will find... There's nothing there. 
and your world comes apart. And you go, whoa. <laughs> and, and that's what we want to talk about because that's really what the book of Ecclesiastes is about. The book of Ecclesiastes is written by a professor or a teacher, and he basically is telling us, you have to look down. You have to examine your life. You have to look at your life and you have to look down. You can't just go, I'm not going to, he's saying, I'm not going to let you coast along and not pay any attention that you're not, you know, what you're, where you're standing right now, there's no ground there. I'm going to force you to look down and force you to, to say, you have these implications of how you're living, but you've never challenged them. You never looked at them. You never see where they lead. And I'm going to force you to ask those questions. That's the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a penetrating book, and it's an incredible book. So let me just give you a quick overview of the book of uh, Ecclesiastes. It is wisdom literature, and, in the, and thus it contains poetry, and it contains proverbs. But it's very different than most of the other books of the Bible. The author is called the professor. The old King James Version called him the, the preacher, and I don't think that's a great translation. It's more of a teacher or think of a professor. And the, the professor is using the Socratic uh, uh, teaching model. And all that means is that the, the teacher, instead of giving a lecture and you take notes, he asks questions and you answer those questions. And, and after all, that's what Jesus did. Jesus did that a lot. He asked a lot of questions. And he, you know, who do men say that I am? And some say you're this, some say you're this. And he did this all the time. It was, it was a methodology of teaching. And so that's what he's doing. He's asking questions. He's playing the role of a skeptic or a searcher. And his goal is really this. His goal is saying, what is life like if you're living your life under the sun? And that phrase is really important. We'll talk about that in a moment. He addresses topics like work, pleasure, accomplishment, injustice, companionship, wealth, political power, the future, death, the ironies and uncertainties of life. He talks about all those. But out of the gate, he asks this fundamental question in verse 3. He says this, what do people get from all their hard work under the sun? What do people get from all their hard work under the sun? What do they get? And, and so it's a very interesting uh, question. There's a, a number of key passages um, let me give you one that you probably have heard. <clears throat> this is uh, found in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And if, if you're a younger person and you've never heard this before, your parents have or your grandparents have. For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh. And... Uh, some of you are sitting there singing it. <laughs> it's a song by the birds a number of years ago. And uh, that, that, that song basically is, a, is putting the words of Ecclesiastes to music. That's essentially where that song came from. Um, you've heard this one, Ecclesiastes 8.15. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's from the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But the passage we want to look at this weekend is Ecclesiastes. I want to read just the first chapter, and we're going to make references to another, a couple of other chapters. So if you'd like to follow along, I'll be in the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm going to read starting at verse 1, and here's what the teacher says. These words, these are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. Uh, what do people get for all their hard work under the sun? 
Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then blows north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea never is full. The, then the, waters re, the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. This is a very encouraging, uplifting book, isn't it? <laughs> History merely repeats itself. It's all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here is something new, but actually it is old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past, and in future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now. I, the teacher, was the king of Israel. I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything done, being done under, this, under heaven. I, I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun. And really, it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. What is, wrong, what is wrong can't be made right. What is missing can't be recovered. I said to myself, look, I am wiser than any of, any of the kings who have ruled, uh, ruled Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all this is like chasing the wind. To uh, the greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase... Uh, knowledge also increases sorrow. Now, he says this. He says everything is meaningless. He is saying that, that life is meaningless. It's futile. But he qualifies it because he uses the phrase, life is meaningless and futile, living, living it under the sun. And that phrase, under the sun, is pretty important. Because what he's referring to with this phrase, under the sun, is he's referring to those folks, those people, and it may be some of you, who are living your lives as though there is no God. That all there is is this material world. That all that, is, all that exists is what we can touch, taste, feel with our physical senses. That that's all there is. And what he's saying is, okay, that's fine. If you hold that materialistic worldview, let's talk about the implications. Let's talk about where it leads. Let's talk about what it means down the road. And that's essentially what this book is all about. He is challenging that view. He's saying, fine, you hold that view. Have you wrestled with the consequences of that view? And basically what he's saying is, the short version is, he's saying if you hold that view, it is, makes your life meaningless. That's what he's saying. Now, let's see how he makes his case for that. You know, and, and by the way, this, this view has been really put to music. Uh, let me read you a few lines from a song that was popular in the 60s. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. John Lennon writing Imagine. What, what he's describing. Imagine there's no, there's no religion, you know. And, and, and he just describes what it is like. And he's, what he's saying is, let's just get this spirituality thing out of here. Let's just imagine a world where there's nothing other than what there is. And wouldn't that be a great world? 
He's challenging, I believe, a very common modern philosophy. And he's, at, he's challenging those that hold this materialistic view to look down and see you're not standing on anything. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. Now, there's two ways that I think people deal with this. I think there's a lot of people that hold this view. I think it's a very common view. Even in America, people who say, I believe in God, really essentially hold this view. They live as though this is the true view that they live with. And frankly, the bottom line is, you are, your, your belief system is what you actually do. Where, where you spend your money, where you make your hard choices, all the, that's really what you believe. And so many people hold this view. But here's what they do. Many people avoid thinking. They just go about their lives day by day. They don't think about it. They don't analyze it. Then there's other people that actually do ask the question. And the question is, what gain do I have, uh, what do, what gain do I have to show for uh, for all your labor under the sun. What profit? What gain? What do I have to show for it? When all is said and done, what difference does my life make? Now, there's three views uh, of how we find meaning, and, and I don't think any one of these is good because the world has basically said, the philosophies of our world has basically said there's different ways that we can approach a meaningless world or a, a world where there is no God, a world where we kind of have to make our own meaning. And here, here are the views that many people hold. The first one is this, and it would go like this. I'm here to make a meaningless world better. In other words, I understand the world has no real meaning, but I'm here to make it a better place. And the professor says to you, if you hold this view, we don't remember, and he says this in verse 11, we don't remember what happened in the past and in future generations. No one will remember uh, what you are doing now. In other words, what he's saying is really stark and it's really in your face and it really kind of makes you come, whoa, that's kind of negative. He says, you know, your life doesn't matter. Your efforts don't matter. Anything you do, you think it's important, you think it's great, you think you're helping, that's great because nobody cares. They might care now, but will they care in 10 years? Will they care in 100 years? Will they care in 1,000 years? We won't, you won't even, you're, you're a vapor. You are here today and you're gone tomorrow and no one's going to remember you. Even your, your parents, your grandparents, you know, you think about how, how many of you know who your great-grandparents were and, and kind of knew anything about them unless you've done a search. And how many have said, boy, I really want to know who they are. I really want to know who their lives are. Some of us might. But most, think about history. How many of you say, I know uh, most of the great people of history and I've studied them and I re, re, you know, learned from them. Some people do. You may be a history teacher and that's your interest. But let's be honest with this. When we go to history class, what do we want to do? We want to pass the class, right? And we, we all these people that were, were, had incredible lives and, 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 and were, 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 were world leaders. Now we just say, yeah, I think I remember, wasn't he over here? Didn't he do something like this? In other words, they, bec they become just a vapor. That's his point. If all there is is this world, then your life is a vapor. It's like when you go down on the beach and you, you walk, you know, where the, where the water comes up on the sand and it goes away, and you put your footprints down and you step back, and then the water comes back up and it goes down, and you go, where'd my foot footprints go? They're gone. And he's saying, that's your life. It's a vapor. It's fragile. It's, it's here today. It's gone tomorrow. The earth still rotates. The water goes from the, the rivers into the ocean. And no, if there's no purpose. There's no point to it if you're living under the sun. There's no meaning. There's no purpose. That's what he's saying. In other words, he's forcing you to think about what you believe. 
He, sa- he asks the question, what do people get? What profit, what gain from all the hard work under the sun? And his answer is, there is no gain. There is no profit. Your life really will make no difference. You'll be forgotten sooner or later. Generations come and generations go, but the world keeps turning. We're a blip in a turning universe. If that's all there is, is life under the sun. Now, here's the point. The point he wants you to see if you hold this view and you say, well, I understand this is a meaningless world, but I'm going to, make, I'm going to bring meaning into it. He says, you might bring meaning for a period of time, but it's going to all just kind of be washed away anyways. If nature is all there is, if life under the sun, and that describes if nature is all there is, then nothing really matters. He's saying if that's true, then your, your life is really pointless if you hold that view. In other words, what he's saying is that's the implication of you just walked off a cliff, you just haven't looked down and thought about what are the implications. Here's the second view that many people hold today. Many people have said, you know, I realize that this is a fairly meaningless world. I don't believe there is a God. I don't, you know. But, but you know what? The bottom line is there's no reason why we still can't be happy. So this is a view, uh, some would call it hedonism. And and the view is basically life is pretty meaningless, so I'm looking for uh, my day-to-day pleasures. And pursuing pleasure is what life is all about. So it's me being happy, me finding true happiness and and doing things that make me happy and and whatever that is. And it could be, you know, it could be good things. It doesn't have to be terrible, bad, perverted things. It could be just ordinary things that you do. And... Again, some people will not look down because they just are so preoccupied with life and they just are just going on with... And maybe this characterizes many of us in our American society because we're going to do this and we're doing this and we're doing this. I mean, think about this last week. When was the last time you stopped and reflected on what you're doing and where you're going and what, where your life is at? Have you had time to think or breathe or catch your breath? I mean, that's kind of where we're at. And then all of a sudden, something happens. Something tragic, something important, something dangerous. And all of a sudden, we're forced to stop and think and say, whoa, <laughs> where am I going? Where, where, where's, where's my life taking me? See? And so we're forced to look at that point. Or some people say, well, I've looked down and I've seen where I, I know I'm not standing anything, but while I fall, I may as well have fun, you know? Let's have a party on the way down. I mean, and that's the view that some people have. And, and that's why he writes in, in 8.15, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow, tomorrow we die. Listen, let's go out with a blaze. You only have one life. Live it to the fullness. Go for it. And, but here's what the professor says. Here's what, and we think it's Solomon. You know, there's scholars that debate this. It just seems to me like Solomon is a good fit for who this is, uh, who is writing all of this. And he says this, in this is chapter 2, verse 9. He says, so I became great, greater than all those who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. And notice what he says here. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found uh, great pleasure in hard work, a, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless like chasing the wind. Now, what's he saying here? It's very interesting because I think he's saying something pretty significant. When we pursue pleasure, and again, pleasure could be doing a good job or, or just going after it or building a, 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 an empire or whatever it is. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But if that's what our life is all about and we're saying, this is how I find meaning by doing this or by being here or by being with this person, that brings meaning in my life. And it's under the sun and it doesn't include God. He says basically it's meaningless. Now here's what happens. 
When we pursue pleasure, two things happen. Here's what happens. I don't know. It happens to me. Maybe it doesn't to you. But when I'm pursuing pleasure, something that I really enjoy, something I really like, my natural tendency is to say, boy, that was great. That was enjoyable. I really, that was rewarding to me or something. And, and my next thought is, I wonder if I can find where there's more of that. I want more of that. But I feel like I've hit the wall. And, I, 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 and, and so when you hit the wall and you say, well, I, 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 if I could just do this, then I would really have pleasure. But I've hit this wall. And what Solomon is saying is, you know what? I never hit a wall. I could do whatever I want. There were no limits. I had all power. I had all wisdom. I had all resources. I could do whatever I want. I never hit the wall. And I want to tell you, when I got all the way down there, it was still meaningless. See, when we hit the wall, we say, here's our problem. The problem isn't that it's meaningless. The problem is we just need more. And if we, you ask anybody who's a millionaire, they say, well, I'd be more comfortable if I had 2 million. You ask somebody with 10 million, say, it would be better if I had 20. You ask somebody, you know, if I had uh, this, uh, well, if I had this. It's always more. If I had this house, it would be nicer if I had this. If I had this, what would be better? And we always, we always think if we had that, then we do it. But here's what, what, what the, the answer is. When we get there, we say, no, but we need more. And, and we always think more. And, and what, what, what Solomon is trying to bring us to a point is saying, instead of saying, I just need a little more, and then I'll be happy, he says, I've come to the end of it. I've come to the very end. I've been able to do everything, and I want to tell you, it's a dead end. There is no more. It doesn't matter how much you get. There, you, it doesn't matter if you go from here to here. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you get to the end. It's a dead end. It's a dead end. He's at the end of the path, and he's saying it's all empty. It's all worthwhile. Uh, it, it can't deliver worthwhileness. It isn't worthy to live for. Every one of us needs something to live for. It's not our own pleasure. I mean, we've got to live for something greater than ourselves. Here's the second thing that will happen. Number one, uh, you'll find that uh, you'll always get to the dead end and you think, well, I just need more. I wish if I had more. And Solomon just says it doesn't work. The second thing is pleasures will become very addictive. The pursuit of pleasure could become an addiction. Again, that can't, it doesn't have to be something perverted or, 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 or it could be something good, but you become so consumed by it, so driven by it. So let me ask you a question. Let's just say that you're able to sit and watch your funeral. What would people say about your life? They like the fish. They love the fish. They were consumed by fishing or they love their family, and nothing wrong with any of those things. But that was, that, that's what you want to characterize your life. He liked to work on motorcycles. That was his hobby. That was his thing. We even brought a motorcycle in to show you one of the bikes he was working on. That's great. Really? I mean, that's your life? That characterizes your life? That consumed you? That took your time? That was your... You see, and, and, and what, the, what the writer's saying is, is none of those things are wrong. In fact, enjoy those things. Don't make those things it, though, because when you make those things it, you're living under the sun. You've excluded God, and you've just given your life the definition of living a meaningless life. See, he's making us wrestle with that. Let me give you the third way that people wrestle with this uh, whole concept. Um, the third view is, they say, well, I understand it's a meaningless life, but I'm going to make my life meaningless in spite of it being meaningless. 
Okay? And you say, wait, wait, did I get that right? Because it didn't seem like it made a lot of sense. No, if it doesn't seem like it made a lot of sense, you got it right. Because basically, if you... The person in this view basically says, there's no such thing as honor. There's no such thing as justice. There's no such thing as good. There's no such thing as beauty. It basically, it's all arbitrary and... And uh, basically, life is uh, meaningless, and yet I'm going to live a meaningless life for the sake of living a meaningless life. Uh, you, can't, you can't differentiate between good and bad art, between good and evil, between right and wrong, between uh, justice and injustice, between sanity and uh, madness. Uh, they, they have looked down. They've seen that life is meaningless, and they say, okay, I know life is meaningless. I'm not going to look for pleasure. Uh, I'm just going to say, in spite of the meaninglessness of life, I'm going to live a meaningful life in spite of it. The meaning of life is to admit that life has no meaning, but I'm going to live a life of meaning anyways. And you go, wait, that sounds a little contradictory, or at least a little insane. And uh, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, a verse we read in verse 17 of chapter 1, So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly, but I learned firsthand that pursuing all of this was chasing the wind. He basically said, I, I actually kept to a point where I pursued madness and realized that doesn't lead anywhere. It's futile. It's waste. And think about this. There is something within us that could distinguish good from evil, that can, that can look at something and say that's beautiful or that's ugly, that can look at something and say that's just and that's injustice. We, there's something within us, there's something within, deep within us, not outside of us, but within us that we know something is right and something is wrong. Even the most perverted person has some track of that. And I believe he addresses that in Ecclesiastes 3. He says, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. In other words, what he's saying is left under the sun, there's no measure, there's no reason, there's no basis for good or bad, beauty or ugly, just or unjust. There's really no basis for that. And, 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 but yet, if you include God, God has made everything beautiful for its own time, and he has planted eternity in the human heart. That's a key phrase to me for this book. He has planted eternity in the human heart. There's a, because materialism basically says you live, you die, you rot, and Christianity says, no, you live, you die, and you live. You really live. Eternity in their heart. And we know that. We know that there's something different about us, that we're different than the animals, we're different than the plants, we're different than the planet. There's something that we aspire to. There's, we aspire to greatness. We aspire to... There, there's something better than us, and there's an ethic within us. There's, there's something that drives us. Paul put it this way in Romans 1. He says, uh, what may be known about God is, is, is plain to them because God has made it plain to them for since the creation of the world... Uh, God's invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their few foolish hearts were darkened. And Paul is saying essentially the same thing. There's something within us, a fingerprint, uh, uh, an energy, uh, 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 a part of God within us. That we know it's there and we, and many people will hold it down or push it back or deny it or whatever it is, but that is what makes us different. 
And the professor's point is there's no middle ground. Either there is a God who gives meaning to this life and every, or, or everything in this life is futile. And what he's saying is this. He's saying to those who reject God and say, I don't believe there is a God. I believe all there is is this world. He says, fine. I want you to look down because here's what you're saying. Here's the implication of what you're saying. If your origin is insignificant and your destiny is insignificant, then have the integrity to admit that your life is insignificant. Don't walk around thinking your life is significant if you've just negated everything and you said there is no God because that essentially says my life is a vapor my life is insignificant my life is futile my life is vanity of vanities that's what he's saying when you throw god out you have just said my life is nothing other than the the water going back into the ocean or the earth spinning it will be forgotten it's insignificant it doesn't matter that's it and that's why it's such a dark book. Now he comes to the end of the book. And he gives us the answer. And that's what good teachers do. They don't give you the answer. They make you wrestle with it. And then they say, well, let me tell you how you should think about this. And he says this in chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. He says, that's the whole story. Now here's the final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including the secret thing, whether good or evil. In other words, what he's saying here is you need to look down and you need to examine your life. You need to say, if I reject God, then I'm, I'm, I'm not stand, I have nothing to stand on. I have no hope. I have no purpose. I have no meaning. I have no basis for ethic. I have nothing. I am standing on nothing. Acknowledge that and just say, your life is meaningless. Walk around and just say, my life is meaningless. And, and just be consistent. But you don't have to just look down. He says, you can look up. And you, when you look up, you will see God. And when you see God, you will find purpose. You will find meaning. You will find an ethic. You will find a reason to live. You will find eternity because it's in your heart. And you will connect with your creator. Everything will change if you do that look. And John brings it down to us. And he says this. It's a very interesting passage in John 1. Now, in... Uh, in the days of Jesus, the philosophers and the great teachers were always asking the question, what is the purpose of life? What is truth? What is, where do we find truth? What is the purpose of life? And they used a word, they, they used the word uh, logos. And they talked about the logos being the f philosophical idea of what is truth, what is life, what is, what is meaning, where do we get it, all that other thing. And, and they used the word logos, which is the Greek word, just means word. Translate logos is just translated word. And John writes this in his gospel. It's a very incredible passage. He says, In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. And the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. And He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and the, that life was the light of all mankind. And so what John comes in, he says, every one of you guys is looking for this philosophy, this teaching, this idea. And it's not an idea. It's not a philosophy. It's not a teaching. It's a person. It's a person. The Logos is a person. 
The Logos is the one who brings meaning to life. The Logos is not a theory. It's not a philosophy. The Logos is a person. The Logos is not a truth that is brought by a person. The Logos is a person. And then John goes down in verse 14, and he says this about the Logos. The Logos, the Word, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. What the teacher says, what the professor says to us, if you want to live your life as though God doesn't exist, at least be honest enough to admit it. That's the life you're living. But look down and see the implications of what that life is. That means your life is going to have no meaning and no purpose. That means you're you're going to be forgotten. That means that whatever good efforts, whatever nice uh, efforts, humanitarian things you may do, may be nice now, but it's all going to be forgotten. It's all for naught in the end. That's what, it's, that's what a life is when you deny God, when you say all there is is what I can see under the sun. But when you look up, you'll find that purpose. And here's the amazing thing. God, Jesus Christ, who was in heaven, came to earth to bring meaning back. And He brings meaning into our lives. And so the phrase that I want to close with is this. It says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has planted eternity in the human heart. He's planted it in every human being. We can suppress it. We can deny it. We can hold it down. But in the end, we know that there is a God fingerprint on every one of us. And when we look up to Him and we say, I submit to you, I look to you, I give myself to you, we find purpose, we find meaning, We find a reason to live. And our lives last forever. We live. We die. And we really live. Jesus says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. That where I am, you may be also. Forever. Your efforts here will be remembered. Your efforts here are significant. You have an ethic. You have somebody to serve. You have somebody to please. Jesus gave his life to you, and now you have an opportunity to give your life back to him. And you have a way, a reason to live. Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes, if you live your life under the sun, it's a dark, dreary, meaningless life. Look down and look at the implications. And then he says, but look to God. And John says in the rest of the New Testament, says when you look to him, You will find the logos from God, the purpose, the meaning from God. And as you begin to unwrap the gospel, you will see just what God wants uh, from you and what he's given to you. And you will find purpose and meaning in everything you're looking for. That's the message of Ecclesiastes. If you live under the sun, it's meaningless. If you look to the sun, you'll find me. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, this is such an incredibly important message and so many people, maybe not intellectually, but practically live that under the sun life. And it just, Father, you want so much more for them. You have placed eternity in their hearts. You have created us 
for higher purposes, for higher achievements, for higher joy. And we have settled for less. C.S. Lewis says, Father, that we play in mud puddles and fail to seek out the ocean. Help us to see, Father, that you want to work in our lives, that you want to give us purpose and meaning and hope that our lives matter. Our lives matter, Father, because you have sent your Son that you say our lives matter. That one day, Father, we will be with you and we will be remembered forever because we will be remembered by you. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray.